Good morning. Hey, um, communication between Pastor Ken and I this week, um, something happened. And uh, so there is no you version live event part as far as outline. The outline's not there. Um, so uh, I apologize for that. That was probably my fault in the way my document was formatted. Uh, so and I don't know how to load that up. So uh, he's away. Hopefully he's not going to worry about it. I'm not worried about it. Uh, if you do have, if you do want to use your version app this morning, you can turn uh, to that, to John chapter 15. Uh, we're going to be mainly in verses 1 through 8. Uh, if you have your Bibles, open up to John 15, verses 1 through 8, and uh, we're going to take some time together. Uh, you can use your notes as far as on your um, handout this morning, as far as section, if you want to take some notes, and we're going to just take some time together this morning. Uh, how many of you this morning are we consider yourself some form of gardener. How many people like to do gardening this morning? I want to block, you raise your hand. Some, more, more than in the first service. I, I really commend you. Um, how many of you have done gardening in your lifetime? See, that, that's me. I don't necessarily enjoy doing it now, but I have definitely done it. My dad, you know, um, and my, my father-in-law, they you know, both love to plant stuff. Uh, my father-in-law lived with us for a number of years. He loved to plant stuff, but did not always like to maintain it, you know, the, which is a whole nother, planting's the, the kind of fun part. Um, you ever, you, you, are you familiar with this, by the way? Um, anybody plant tomatoes? How many people have plant tomatoes? Um, can you just do this and you're done? N- n- why not? They grow. What, what happens when they grow? They, they begin to fall over. By the way, um, our passage this morning in John chapter 15 is, uh, Jesus says, I am the true vine. You are the branches. The picture in the mind of the reader, I mean of the listener and of you know, and the reader in the early church, the picture was of uh, grapes. All right? Um, the grapevines. How many people have ever planted grapevines? See, I don't feel so bad because like only like maybe one hand went up. Like when Pastor was asking last week about how many people have been shepherds, we got the same response, right? Like, no, like nope, never been there, have not done that. Um, so like, what do you have to do? Next picture, what do you have to do? You got to tie it up. Why? What happens if you don't tie them up? If you don't they, they, they droop down, they get on. What happens to your, to your tomatoes? They rot. See, John 15, we can kind of like learn some things from John 15, it, it, you know, but we kind of like more or less picture tomato plants. Um, by the way, I know some of you would say, but you know, Roy, tomato plants can be either vines or bushes. True. But for most of us, we've planted the vine type of tomato plant where you have to do something with them. They don't, they don't uh, sustain themselves you know, upright. We have to kind of aid in the growth and in the fruitfulness. And uh, I believe that's what kind of brings us to our passage this morning in John 15. So if you have your Bibles open to John 15, uh, we're going to read in a minute. But let's, first of all, let's, let's go to the Lord in prayer. All right, let's pray together. Lord, we come to you and we ask that you would use this time in a mighty way, that you would allow us to use it in a way that would please you, that we would learn from it, we would continue to worship in this time, um, because you are the one who is deserving of, of all of our worship and all of our praise. 
Lord, I ask this morning that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts together would be pleasing to you, that you would receive praise. We want to honor you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John 15, verses 1 through 8. Let's read together. Um, I am the true vine. My, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he purges, he prunes, sorry, he prunes so that it, it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is a real familiar passage for for many of us. If you've been around the church uh, quite a bit, if you're older like me, most of you are are not, but if you are older like me, you've been around, you've probably heard a few sermons on John chapter 15 before. And the problem I have with sermons on John chapter 15 down through the years, and I don't know about you, but like, some of them are pretty scary. Uh, do you like scary movies? Anybody here like, like scary movies? You like to a good scare. Wow, that's, that's, that's impressive. Like, you know, you, uh, how many people really enjoy being scared? You like, you, know, you like being scared at home? Like you hear noises and you don't, like, now listen, all of us have a tendency sometimes because we kind of like to scare or startle others. But see, we don't always like it ourselves. You know, you, you ever sneak up behind somebody and like, you just make them, make them jump? And what do you do? You laugh, right? You kind of like go like, ah. Oh. I think sometimes we do that because people have done it to us and we just think we're, you know, okay, it's fair. I, I guess we can do that. And there's some sort of joy to it. The problem is, I think, is that because we have tendencies to like to scare or like to be scared or like that, you know, we kind of think God's like that. Sad to say, a lot of people envision God as this guy who's sitting up in heaven waiting for us to mess up so he can just kind of zap us. And he cannot wait to, to do something to us if we mess up. And, and John 15 has some scary words in there. There's some language in there that's kind of like a little bit scary because it says he cuts off. And he prunes. And by the way, pruning is what? Cutting off. And he... We, we get to a point where we're gathered and we're burned up in fire. And I've even heard some sermons say that the fire is symbolic for hell. And that's what's going to happen to us if we don't live a certain way. And so... This morning as we approach this passage, I I first of all want to clarify something and say that I believe the intent of this passage is not to scare. The intent of this passage is not to scare. 
It may sound that way, but our, I believe God is not a God who scares. Uh, he is a God of truth. There is judgment and everything else, but the intent of this passage is definitely not to scare. Uh, I believe the intent of this passage is to comfort and encourage. So as we look at this passage this morning and we apply this passage to, to us individually and even corporately to some degree, it is meant to encourage us and to comfort us. Now, I want to like, if that's my thesis, that it's meant to comfort and encourage, I, I, I want to say that there are like four different points that I want to make that, that back that up. And as we look at the passage, I, I want to use those four different things to show us what, you know, what is actually meant for us today as we take a look at this passage. First of all, I want us to look at the context. I want us to look at the context. When is this happening? What's, what's the context of this discourse, this teaching, this explanation by Jesus? Anybody know? Top of your head. Anybody know like where, where this is found? This is actually, this is John 15, and actually beginning in John 13, verse 1, and going through really the end of chapter 16, this passage is known as the Last Supper. This is happening during that last meal together before Jesus is crucified, before he's arrested and goes through the six different trials and everything else like that. And by the way, we're coming up on that this week and the next week. And the context doesn't just stop, I mean, start at John 13. The context of this passage it really goes back before that to Jesus coming to Jerusalem for his last time. And he has what's called the triumphal entry, or we call it Palm Sunday. By the way, that's next week. Isn't that cool? We are coming in. This is my favorite season, time of the year. Absolutely, positively. Bet more so than Christmas, more so than any other time. This is my favorite time of the year because we get a chance to celebrate everything that Jesus Christ accomplished for us and the finalization of all of that, um, the completeness of it all. But he, he had that triumphal entry into, into, into Jerusalem. And after he rides into Jerusalem, he goes into the temple. And I mean, you can read these in the different Gospels. I would encourage you maybe to read them over the next two weeks. So as we come, two weeks from today is Easter Sunday. As we come into this, this read some all these events to see what's going on. And the tri Jesus goes up into the temple, but he turns around and he leaves. The next day he goes into the temple and he turns over the tables, and there's confrontation, and there's all kinds of stuff that's going on. There's the story of the fig tree that he curses. There's, there's all kinds of stuff that goes on. One of those days, as he's leaving Jerusalem, as he, he sits down with his disciples, what's called the Olivet Discourse. They're sitting on the Mount of Olives, and he starts talking about the future because he is asked. So Jesus, like, when will your kingdom come, and what will be the sign of your coming? And Jesus tells them about the second coming, and they're expecting, they're thinking it's now. And, and, like, and that's a real, like, I love that passage. I mean, I just, I love all these passages. And this is now coming to this, all the things that, that have been happening, this is now coming to this section in John 13 through 16. He's coming to this section where Jesus is sitting with them at the Last Supper. And they have no clue what's about to happen. For a lot of us, if we knew what was about to happen in our lives, we'd be scared. 
Jesus, knowing what's about to happen, in fact, I'm going to read you some of the passages here in um, just a couple of them that I, I put down. I know they're not going to be on necessarily on, on the screen all the time, but uh, I think these are. So like, let, let's go through some of them. John 13, chapter, chapter 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And really, uh, that word could be completely. He loved them fully, to the, completely. There was nothing left out of his love. By the way, when you really, really love somebody, you don't necessarily go around say, and now I'm going to scare you half to death. Right? They have no clue what's about to happen, but Jesus does. John 14, verses 16 and 17, Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commandment, my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, or some of the translations say another helper, another comforter, to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Is that scary? Uh, no, no, he's another comforter. He's another advocate. Uh, like, okay, I've been here, but he's going to be here. and he's, we, he's with you now, but he will be in you. We have the Holy Spirit in us if we are believers. If we have accepted Christ as our personal Savior, the Holy Spirit resides in us. That's not meant to scare us. That's meant to encourage us, to comfort us. John 14, verse 27 says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Listen, you can't get much clearer than that. Do not let your heart be troubled. Do not be afraid. They are about to see Jesus, who they've been with for three and a half years approximately, be crucified, arrested, crucified, die. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Like this passage, this whole section, this passage is not meant to scare them. In my, my opinion. There's other people who have that opinion too. Not everybody, but there's other people. Uh, John 16, 33, after John 15, what does he say? I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. Like we... We know that. Like, like we've, most of us have experienced trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Those are some strong statements. Don't you love that? Jesus, Jesus says in John 15, I am the true vine. I am. You are the branches. This is meant to encourage us. Context is like everything for me. Like we, we have to understand that in John 15 does not happen in a vacuum. It's not just separate. It's not something he said at some other point in time. It's in the midst of this whole section. Context is comfort and encourage. And I find great comfort and encouragement in the things that Jesus had to say. But the second thing that we need to address are the words. Now, I don't know about you, but when you read John 15, we come to a couple words that just 
bring questions to our minds. Like, wait a minute, Roy, how can you say that when it says, you know, every branch that's not in me, he cuts off. How, how, like, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Now, if we're going to deal with specific words, then, then let's, let, let's kind of take a look at the word. Um, I remember my sophomore year in college, in Bible college, I took New Testament Greek. Uh, um, I took it more than just one year, so to speak. But I took New Testament Greek. Any of you, any of you study a language, foreign language? Wait, all of you have or will? Because like, when you're in high school, mandatory what? You have to do a foreign language. Ever have any of those, like, see, mine, mine were about that big. They were vocabulary cards. You ever have those? If, and if you didn't have them, like, provided for you, what did you do? You took three by five cards. You wrote down the word in Spanish, whatever, me, Greek. I had them pre-made. But on one side is, for me, was Greek. On the other side was English. And you're, like, because you, you, you get those vocabulary quizzes. How many of you liked vocabulary quizzes? But you get those. And I had, a prof- I had a professor that basically, once you had a vocabulary word, it was always possible that it would be on the quiz or a test. Always. One of my earliest vocabulary words was this word. Now, I have to confess, as, as a sophomore in college, I may have been just with some other guys. I don't know. Some of you can remember back to your college days. may have been slightly immature at times. Like, we looked at all the vocabulary words, and we picked out the ones we thought were kind of funny. And we, we remember those easily. For example, the Greek word for woman is gune. Ladies, would you like that? You're such a beautiful gune. Like, they, you know, like none of, none of us would, would, would like that. But you know what? Like, not everybody knows Greek. So as sophomore guys in college, we, you know, we had this, and we took Greek, and not everybody took Greek. We, you know, and we would see this really cute girl, and we go, gune. I'm sure you've never had any kind of done anything like that where you kind of had some sort of little code word for a like nice looking woman, you know. See, I remember, I remember that some of this silly stuff. I remember one of my earliest words, Greek words, was the Greek word arrow, which is this word. He cuts off, is how it's translated here. But you know what? On on my vocabulary card. When you took arrow and you turned it over, the English word was to lift up. To lift up. Wait a minute. That then would change everything as far as what this word means in this passage. So like whenever Jesus then says, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener, he lifts up every branch in me that bears no fruit. Ooh, that, that, that all of a sudden sounds different, doesn't it? He lifts up every branch of me that bears no fruit. Uh, by the way, I want to take a look at a picture. Can we take a look at... at these, are, these are pictures from last week. You guys remember last week, the sheep pens? All right, you remember this? So, like, as you looked at these pictures, something very, there's something very stark about this picture and the next picture. Go ahead. What do you notice about these pictures? has nothing to do with the sheep pens or the shepherd per se but it's like i'm going like 
you know, Ken, you got to give me those pictures because I want to use two of them. What do you notice? There are no trees. Did you notice that? Go back to the first one again. See any trees? See any bushes? What do you see a lot of? Rocks. Not, not, ignore the sheep pens. What do you see? Rocks. Go to, go to the second one again. What do you see? Stones. Rocks. Yeah, you see some grass? Lots of stones. Like, what does this have to do with the fact that he lifts up? By the way, um, we've seen pictures today of vineyards, right? Think of a vineyard. How are they? What do you see? What do you see? You see what? You see the, the plants, the vines. How, how are they arranged? There's usually stakes in the ground to support them, and there's usually what? The wires that go between the stakes. Now, today, those are like metal stakes, and those are metal wires. And what do they do? They, fa- they, they fasten. The- By the way, do the vines automatically grow on those? No, you actually have to lift them up, and you have to fasten them, and you attach them to them, and they grow out, and you put them there. By the way, do you see any metal in the ancient world? Do you see a lot of metal? They used metal stakes for all kinds of stuff, didn't they? No. Did they use wood? No. By the way, it's, it's really interesting. I had a, I had a professor, one of my, when I was doing my master's degree, one of my professors was, uh, was talking about one of his trips to Israel. And I kind of saw this when I was in Israel. I never took a picture of it, but he was talking about it. And he was on a trip, and he was kind of like the tour leader of the trip. because He had his doctorate. Dr. Earl Rodmacher was his name. Um, if you've ever had a New King James Study Bible published by Nelson, if you look in the front of it as the main editor, the general editor for the New King James Study Bible, it was Dr. Earl Rodmacher. So he was a really, really cool guy. Um, okay, I can't help it. It just came to my brain. I got to spit it out. Um, he looked like Colonel Sanders. Didn't sound like him, but he looked like Colonel Sanders. So it was really interesting sitting in his class looking at him because every now and then, because he always got hungry, it seemed, seemingly. Uh, there was just something suggestive there. Uh, but he, would, he said he was driving along, and he had the tour bus, bus and buses, but I think it was two of them, stop, and he had everybody get out. And he said, look, John 15. And there was some old, old vineyards. And what they were, the vines were all there, and there were like stone walls that the vines were sitting on top of. And there were some, and I saw this, there were some when the vines are newer, the vines are growing, and you just lift them up and you put one stone under them. And then as they continue to grow, you lift them up and you put another stone under them. And you lift them up and you put another stone under them. And eventually they look like there was a stone wall there. But in reality, what are they doing? They're lifting them up. By the way, if that vine stays on the ground, what happens to the fruit? It rots. Same thing, but by the way, tomatoes rot. Grapes rot too. You got to keep them up off the ground, off the contamination that is often there. And that's just not just dirt, although dirt is a part of it. It's the bugs and you know, insects and everything else like that that's, that's down there. You got to lift them up away from that. Otherwise, it's going to cause the fruit to be of no value whatsoever at all. By the way, the father, my father is the vine dresser. He's the gardener who lifts up. If you're not bearing fruit, he lifts you up away from what's going to stop you from bearing fruit. 
Second word. This is a little scary. He prunes. All right? Greek, it's the, by the way, it, it's the Greek word there that we get our English word catharsis. It literally, it's like transliterated as far as that. I mean, how do you pronounce the Greek word? Catharsis. What's the English word? Catharsis. That was an, that, by the way, that was an easy vocab word. Like, but the, what's the meaning of that? Uh, sometimes it's translated purge. All right? Here's what's really interesting. Uh, I printed out um, the definition for, for that. If I can find it here. Definition of that is the process of releasing and thereby providing relief from strong or repressed emotions. Music is a means of catharsis for them. It's kind of like the quote of how the word is used. But the idea really is, uh, by the way, um, a, it's a catharsic event. Um, we're not going to go into other forms of catharsis, physical catharsis, not just emotional, but the synonyms are purging, purification, cleansing, release, relief. And by the way, John 15, 3, in where, it says, um, where it says in our passage that um, he prunes it so that it will be more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. The word clean and prunes are the same. In fact, there are some translations. I was reading a bunch of translations this week and you know, last week as we were just preparing just over and over again trying to read this in different translations. There are some translations that says you, you, are, you have already been, purred, been pruned or you have already been purged. Uh, because the words are the same, they use purge or prune. Uh, the first time, you are already clean. They, they actually begin to use it the second time where in reality, instead of maybe saying pruning the second time, you could say clean. The first time. Because it's the same word. So in reality, then we could translate this. Well, every branch that does that does bear fruit, you're bearing fruit, he cleans so that it will be even be more fruitful. I remember growing up, my dad would always send me out to help in the garden with the tomato plants and other stuff like that. And he says, Listen, when you water the tomato plants, you water the whole, you know, use the fine spray and you water the whole plant. Why? Because you want to clean the fruit. You want to clean the plant, which will make it even more fruitful. Because those leaves that get the sunlight and everything else like that, if they are dirty and if they're dusty and things like that, it affects the fruitfulness. So, like, if we're taking a look at the words that seem a little bit scary, that he prunes, he cuts off stuff off of me, uh, it actually sounds then a little bit better for me that he actually lifts me up and he cleans me. Because at times, you know what? I need cleaning. Uh, this isn't the only time he says you are already clean. Back in John chapter 13. Uh, John chapter 13, if you know the story of the Last Supper, what does Jesus do at the very beginning of the Last Supper, he washes the disciples' feet. And Peter, I love Peter, Peter says, no, 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 you're not washing my feet. And Jesus says, if I don't wash your feet, you will have no part of me. And he says, then wash all of me. And he says, wait a minute, wait a minute, if I, not, you don't always need to take, if you already had a bath, you, you only need your feet clean. Only part of you sometimes gets dirty. And he says, even at that point, in John chapter 13, he says this, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean. 
though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean. You are clean. Sometimes Jesus needs to, not Jesus per se, like I want to say God, God the Father, as, as our Heavenly Father, he needs to come along and wash our feet, so to speak. He needs to clean what has gotten a little bit dirty. But overall, when we stand before him spiritually, we are clean. Twice in, in this section, Jesus says to them, you are already clean. What about the word burned? They are burned, they're thrown into the fire and burned. How do you get around this one, Roy? Well, what's really interesting to me is that NIV and some of the other translations leave out the pronoun that deserves to be there. Pronouns missing in the NIV. The New American Standard, which is probably the most literal translation from Greek to English, it doesn't read real easily, but it's, it's pretty literally translated, awkward at times to read, but it's pretty literally translated. New American Standard says this, if anyone, verse 6 of chapter 15, if anyone does not abide in me, he is, he is thrown away as a branch and dries up, and they gather them. And they cast them into the fire, and they, they, the branches, are burned. By the way, does God the Father gather us and throw us into the fire? Does Jesus? The different pronoun would have to be used. And by the way, even if the pronoun is not there, the verb is is set up in such a way that it's obvious that there, whether it's first person, second person, third person, or whether it's singular or plural. And I'll bet some of you say, wait a minute, we're on spring break. We don't have to do grammar. No, but Greek's really, the best part about Greek, it's very precise. Even though I don't stay in it, it's really easy to go back and to say, this is precisely exactly what it's saying and who's doing it. Uh, If you're in the dirt, spiritually speaking, and you're not producing fruit, what gets burned? Your testimony, your witness, gone. We used to say, it's toast. A couple, a couple, a couple weeks ago, I, I make bre- Amy breakfast in the morning before I, I head out to work because I leave earlier than she does these days. And um, we had some bagels in the house, some sesame bagels. That's her favorite. Sesame bagels. She loves them when the, there's toasted. And I had it in the toaster, and I'm doing stuff. And I got distracted. And guess what happened to her sesame bagel? It got burnt. Did she eat it? No, because it had no value at that point. It went into the garbage. See, for, for, for us, when we're not living like we're supposed to be living, as a Christian, and we profess to be Christians, and we are. And by the way, I, I, I'm going to keep... This is, this is like really different. The second time going through this, preaching a sermon is really, really different because you can forget whether you said it or not. So I don't think I said it. Uh, by the way, Jesus keeps saying over and over again that the, you are the branches and you are in him. Jesus says you're in me multiple times. Now, you cannot be in me as a branch, as an unbeliever. The Holy Spirit is not with you and in you as an unbeliever. As a believer, you are. He's talking to believers. You are already clean through the words that I have spoken to you. You are in me. That is such comforting good news because even when I get dirty and my 
fruit isn't good. And I need to be lifted up and I need to be cleaned. I'm still in him. I haven't lost my salvation. But what happens is, uh, and it's happened enough to me, I'm old enough, it's happened enough to me where I do something that's embarrassing to my testimony and people look at me and say, you, and you call yourself a Christian? Usually it's unsafe people, isn't it? Like they go, really, you call yourself a Christian? By the way, don't you get annoyed by media as far as whether it's TV or movies or other things? They, they kind of look at us like we're a bunch of imbeciles and we're, and we're all a bunch of hypocrites. Like we have no integrity or, and we have no common sense, and et cetera. But, but what happens whenever we do stuff to embarrass our faith and our testimony? Our testimonies burn. They come and throw us into the fire and, and we're burnt. Like, can you ever recover that sometimes with some people? I've had some people where I've never been able to recover the fact that my testimony has been burnt. You know, not... Physically, of course, you know what I mean. So when we come to that, the, the difficult words, the severe words, as they are often in our translations, I, I do want you to understand that the purpose of this passage is as, we're, as Jesus is looking forward to what's going to be, what it's going to be like without him, Jesus is saying, I, I want you to be encouraged. I want you to realize that you, by the way, every branch in, in me will bear fruit. If you're not bearing fruit, what will happen? God will step in. <laughs> he's done that with me. God stepped in and he's lifted me away from that stuff. And he's put, cleaned me up. And he's put me in a position where I can be even more fruitful than what I was before. That's encouraging. Jesus, I am the true vine. You're the branches. And you will, you will bear fruit. By the way, what's, what is third thing here? What is Jesus' emphasis in this passage? When you read through even just these eight verses, let alone all of John chapter 15, what's his emphasis? His emphasis is to abide or really remain, it says in the NIV, to remain. He uses that word 10 times. Now, if you use a word 10 times in a brief parag- you know, paragraph or two, guess what? Most of your English teachers are going to say, I think you overused it. No, no. Why would you use it 10 times? Let's make a point here. The reason he uses it 10 times is he's going to emphasize this is exactly what he wants them to be able to do. And it will produce fruitfulness if you abide. Now, God hasn't changed. Jesus hasn't changed. But see, sometimes I let myself slip and I'm not abiding. And I realize that my times of unfruitfulness in my life have often been caused by not abiding, not remaining in. It's me. Jesus' emphasis says, look, I, 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 abide with me. Remain in me as I will be in you, as I remain in you. He's, he's going to be there. It's our, it's our task to abide. Fourth thing that I want to emphasize regarding this passage is that God, the Father, is the gardener. Now, we just sang a couple songs. No pre-planning on, on my part as far as with planning the music. We just sang a couple songs earlier. Um, one says, 
Um, who can stop the Lord Almighty? And by the way, we repeated that. Who can stop the Lord? Who can stop the Lord? Who can stop? And the answer is nobody. Other song says, you are good. 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 You are never going to let me down. I wanted to add, I'm sitting back there, I wanted to add, you're going to what? You're going to lift me up. God is the one who's in control. God is the one who's in charge. See, John 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the gardener. I am the vine. You are the branches. He's talking to us, and he's encouraging us to produce fruit. And so, one of the versions says, and so prove to be my disciples. You say you're a believer you say you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, prove it. My small group's studying the book of James. I mean, we've been saying that how many times? You know, if you're a part of my small group, you, like, you would know, like, book of James. You say you're a believer, prove it. it produce fruit. And if you're, if you're struggling with that, by the way, God the Father is there to help us. So how do we do that? I mean, this is, this is a relatively familiar passage. I, I, I wanted to share maybe, just a, maybe for some, a little different insight into some of the words that are being used. So they're not as scary, but they are strong words that are meant to encourage us. So how do we abide? How do we remain in Jesus? How do we stay in him? Well, I, th- I have four suggestions and maybe not all of them apply to you as far as at least one of them not, isn't necessarily maybe applicable for everybody. But the, but the other three definitely are. The first one is we have to be in God's word. Jesus says, you are already clean by the word which I have spoken to you. And we have his word. We have to be in it. I and mean, that's what cleans us. You know, I love uh, when I was little, my dad was a pastor and we, we had, to, had to do a lot of Bible memorization stuff. And one of, the, one of the Psalms says, thy word have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against you. It's probably King James, <laughs> old King James, because that's the, I mean, I just over and over again, that word. But how many times has God's word come back and stopped me from sinning? Because God's word comes back and goes like, whoa, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that. Be in God's word. Um, Amy's not here, so I can use it now without her getting upset with me um, or frustrated with me. Uh, Amy, my wife, Amy, uh, uses an app called Daily Audio Bible. If you've never heard of it, write it down. Daily Audio Bible. And what she does is she listens to God's word every day, being read to her, and it uses different versions, a different version each week. And I forgot how many different versions they use, but they alternate versions each week. And if you listen to it for a year, you have read through the whole Bible in a year. So you have an Old Testament passage, a New Testament passage, a a section of Psalms, and a small section of Proverbs. And in one year, you've read through the whole Bible. I'm pretty sure she's done it. Uh, uh, I think she's on her eighth or ninth year of doing that. I mean, you are, she is, and because we're both getting ready at the same time in the morning, I am too, but I wasn't the one that took the initiative, but she's been doing this a long time. She is in the Bible 
in God's word every single day. You can develop your own. You don't have to do it in the morning. But she does it in the morning when she's getting ready. And like, yeah. She turns it off when she's in the shower sometimes. And I'm going like, wait a minute, I was listening. I was listening. It's like, um, we have to be in it. You can determine. I mean, that's, that's one of those things. Every single one of us, for the most part, we kind of know something. But, I mean, but that's, that's something we have to do every day, being in God's word. Secondly, prayer. We have, sometimes we have such a stereotypical, formal attitude toward prayer or idea of prayer. Prayer is just talking. It's just communication. And I don't know about you, but, like, In the morning when I get up and I'm in the shower, I'm thinking about my day and I'm going, I'm just saying, Lord, I, I just, I really need this. You know, this is what I'm doing today. I need your help here. That's everything. Uh, I, I talk, to, talk to God whenever I'm driving quite often because there are people that do weird things that and I'm going like, help me, God, because I really want to. Sorry, I didn't mean to, didn't mean to be so loud. I really want to sometimes do something that I know I shouldn't do, especially as a believer and stuff like that. And it's like, it's very frustrating. And I'm talking to him. Throughout the day, I love, um, uh, I, I love a guy named uh, Chuck Swindoll. I don't know if you've ever heard of Chuck Swindoll. I used to listen to a lot of his sermons, and he said the verse that says, pray without ceasing, he says, could be and should be translated, pray with the consistency of a hacking cough. You ever have one of those colds where it doesn't seem like you're coughing like all the time, but it seems like it's, you're never too far away from the next one, and you're never too far away from the one you just had. Like, it just seems like there's one that's coming. I, ah, I just got, but there's one that's coming, and there's one that's coming, and he says that's how prayer should be. We're, like, we're never too far away from the one we just prayed, and we're never too far away from the one we're about to. And it's just talking to him. And by the way, he already knows, but it's just us making sure that we know and we understand and we're just communicating to him as far as how we feel, what we think, what we need help with. Not quite as formal as, and as, as what we sometimes think it is, or this, this kind of like stereotype. Number three, um, I don't know about you, but m- music really impacts me. So, like, I'm really careful as far as what kind of music I listen to to stay in Jesus, to remain in Him. So, like, I, at work, uh, I have an Echo Dot, and I say, you know, Alexa, play Top Christian. And they play the 50 top-played Christian music songs, and almost all of them. Almost every single time Lauren Daigle's song, her one song is always like the very first one that plays. It's all the time. And it's like, but I don't know about you, but like attitude-wise, my attitude can't be bad when I'm listening to Christian music most of the day. And like, it impacts me. I don't know whether music has that big of a part in your life or not, so maybe this one isn't applicable for you, but there are ways that we can put better things into our mind and that affect our attitude and that allow us to remain in him. I, I sometimes have great times of worship. I'm sitting there working. I'm fixing a sewing machine, which is what I do right now. I'm working on fixing that, and, it's, and I'm worshiping just worshiping right along with, with the music that's playing. Fourth thing, you're doing right now, being around God's people. Because we are in him. We are together. We are in him. We are to remain. And we are to participate in fellowship and worship and serve and study together with God's people. 
So right now you're doing it. This, this is a part of it. By the way, uh, people that struggle with being, remaining in Jesus, people with struggle and they begin to fall away, one of those early signs is what? They're no longer in church. They, they avoid going to youth group or small group or like all of a sudden they just begin to disappear. And not that they're away, away, away yet, but this is part of remaining in him. Now, I don't know where you need to be this morning. But the challenge, obviously, in John 15, once again, this familiar passage is to abide in him. Jesus says, abide in me. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself, neither can you unless you abide in me. And I'm not just pointing the finger at you. I'm just saying it's for us this morning. So where do you need to abide today? He, I am the true vine, he said. I am. Let's pray together. Father, once again, we thank you so much for your love for us, for the way that you work in our lives, for who you are. I thank you for your word and how clear it is, how encouraging it is, challenging, yes, but encouraging, Lord. Lord, may we take a look at, our, at, at, at this passage and may we take a look at our time together this morning and may we see where you might be speaking to us and apply it to our lives individually and how it will impact us then corporately as a group. Lord, uh, we want to give you all the praise for what you will do because of the time that we've committed to you. So we praise you now in Jesus' name. Amen.